0: Hi. Welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen, brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning. Proverbs chapter 9 verses 13 through 18. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's Holy word. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Oh, Father, as we consider now the call of folly, even as last week we looked at the call of wisdom, I would do pray that you would grant us wisdom to understand the nature of these two calls, that we would embrace wisdom and shun folly. Help us to understand, Lord, as even as we are to understand the scriptures, so too we are to understand the nature of folly, that we might not be persuaded or deceived by her to go the way of death, to go the way that leads only to hell. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us this grace, that Christ would bring us to that uh, new Jerusalem, that heavenly Jerusalem, that Jerusalem, the golden which we have sung of. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, last week you remember that I began by opening by saying that there is this myth of independent thinking. Um, There is a sense in which we we ended the the last sermon by saying you know everyone needs to receive the Lord Jesus Christ for himself. If you believe, you believe for himself. If you scoff, you scoff for yourself. And yet, um, typically when people think of independent thinking, they're not thinking so much of that, but they're thinking of this idea where um, if you can cast off all authority, then you can be basically the master of your own thinking. You can uh, come to your own decisions about what is right and wrong without any sort of uh, preconceived notions of what's right and wrong or or without any... um, uh, influenced from others, and that's the sense in which independent thinking is not possible, and it, and it is, in fact, a myth. We are, we are always influenced by someone, and this is often used, I mentioned last week, to deceive young people. Uh, young people are told, you know, if you just don't listen to your parents, don't, certainly don't listen to the church, but you need to think for yourself. You know, they're, they're telling you something that's right, but if you need to think for yourself, and the problem is, is that that's not actually uh, independent thinking. It's actually just being influenced by someone different. And you'll notice here that when Solomon is speaking about wisdom and the options that you have with regard to her, you can can embrace wisdom, but the, the opposite of embracing wisdom is not just going your own way. It's not going your own way. It's actually being influenced by another. And that one is, in fact, folly. It's not just one that's calling you. There's actually two that are calling. Wisdom is calling and folly is calling. So there's no real such thing as this this neutral middle ground where there is this detached sort of objectivity where you can reason about what is right and wrong without any influence from others. The the reality is is that you will be influenced either by wisdom or you will be influenced by folly. And the reason why this is so important, the reason why Solomon himself uh, speaks not just about the call of wisdom but also about the call of folly is because the call of folly is incredibly loud. It's incredibly loud and it is particularly loud today. It is deafeningly loud today. The cry of wisdom we've seen is seen particularly in the preaching of the gospel. If you wanna know where is it that wisdom is calling out to you, the answer is in the preaching of the gospel. But now if you were to ask the other question, where is the cry of folly seen? Which is essentially the cry of the devil. Where is the cry of folly seen? Well, it's seen today in the LGBTQ propaganda. It's seen in the Marxist Marxist intersectionality and critical race theory, feminism, the environmental movement, all of these which essentially feed off of each other and are essentially the same ideology. All of them which are uh, trying to to proclaim a version of righteousness that is actually a perversion of what the scriptures teach. And if you were to ask, you know, where are those kinds of things found? where, Where are those kinds of things lifting up their voice? The answer is absolutely everywhere. The answer is everywhere. And so you have to recognize, there are two that are calling. There has always been two that are calling. Now, in some ways, throughout history, we could say that you know, the, the way in which the call of folly, the form that it takes, it, it changes over time, so to speak, in the, in the sense that uh, you know Marxism is a relatively new thing. Uh, certainly, critical theory is even more recent than that. However, there are threads of continuity, always with the call of folly, such that really, the call of folly has gone all the way back to the garden. It is the call of the devil, whereby he tried to deceive Eve and succeeded in in deceiving Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the ideology that seeks to turn people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the point of this passage is to contrast the call of wisdom with the call of folly. They say those two things are are, uh, in some ways, um, in some ways there is an outward kind of similarity, but yet there is a fundamental difference between the two. And that's what Solomon is doing. The way in which the call of, of folly is described is similar to the way in which the call of wisdom is described. And the point of that is to say that outwardly there is, there is some sort of similarity that makes folly appealing. And yet ultimately the end of it leads to death. Now, in chapter 9, there is this contrast between wisdom and folly. But this is not actually the only juxtaposition of two calls. It's not the only contrast that we've seen in, in the book of Proverbs, even to this point, The other call, the juxtaposition of two calls, we actually saw in chapters seven and eight. You remember the last passage of chapter seven actually deals with the call of the adulteress. And there is the the adulteress that, you know, um, who calls the young man who's coming by the way and Solomon is looking out the window. He's seeing this young man. He gets trapped by this adulteress. And there's a lot of description about the way in which this this adulteress calls to this young man. And that is immediately followed then by the call of wisdom in chapter eight. So, so the idea is that there is this juxtaposition between the, the call of sexual immorality on the one hand, in the, seen in the adulteress, epitomized in the adulteress in chapter seven, which is then contrasted with the call of wisdom in chapter eight. Then we have in chapter nine, the juxtaposition of the call of wisdom on the one hand, and folly. And the point then, if you were to, to look at, you know, why are, these, or why are there these two sets of contrasting calls? The point is that you're meant to connect the, the call of the adulteress, the call to sexual immorality with the call of folly, that, that the, the call towards sexual immorality and the call of folly often go together. And this is particularly important to, to, for us to understand today because we are to recognize, as I mentioned, that, there, that the way in which folly is calling out now is predominantly through the LGBTQ propaganda. All of that is, is part of the call of folly. All the ways in which that is done through you know, homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, all those things are related to the call of folly. It is being promoted and triumphed. And the point is, is that that is not new. That is not new. Solomon himself 3,000 years ago was already connecting the call of folly with sexual morality. There, there, there are two who call out. And even in the scriptures, even, even in other places, this same juxtaposition can be seen. So for instance, in uh, Revelation chapters 18 and 19, there is this juxtaposition between two women. Uh, in a similar way in in which wisdom is characterized as as feminine here. But there, the the contrast is between Jerusalem and Babylon in in Revelation chapters 8 and 9. Babylon is described as a harlot who leads the world into all forms of sexual perversity. That's that's Babylon. And then on the other hand is Jerusalem, who is a beautiful bride who's been prepared for her husband, kept pure in, in every age, And is given to Christ as a pure and spotless bride, and she goes into the wedding feast of of the Lamb. We we noted that even last week. There's this this, this sense of uh, uh, feasting being a theme related to salvation. Just like here, there is this this theme of of feasting, but then Babylon is destroyed. The woman Babylon, the harlot, is in fact destroyed, and so this is what we are we're to look at. This is the last thing, the last thing that Solomon is saying. This is, the, this is the very last part of this uh, section in Proverbs chapters one to nine. This is the end of the foundational section that is to be the, the thing that you take with you into your interpretation of all the, the specific things that Solomon gets into with regard to the, you know, the minute details of this situation, you do this, and this is wise, that sort of thing. Th- this is the last thing he's saying is that there's this juxtaposition between wisdom and folly. They are both crying out. The world and the devil are crying out for you to turn aside from the gospel turn aside from the calling of Christ. But what Solomon is saying is their end is death. Their end is death. Now we've looked at the call of the adulteress in chapter seven. Now here we're gonna look specifically at the call of folly, the way it relates to wisdom, and even, and even by implication as well, the way it relates uh, also to uh, the sexual immorality of, of chapter seven. Now we're gonna look at this passage under two headings. We're going to consider folly's call in verses 13 to 17. And then in verse 18, we're going to consider folly's end. So the call and then the end. And the end, of course, the psalm is trying to get us to understand the end is death. Now, if you look at verse 13, you'll notice that there is a description that is given of folly. So this is, it's translated here as a a foolish woman. It could also be understood as just uh, folly. She is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. So there's really two ideas here that are being used to describe folly. She is very loud with regard to her call, but yet she does not actually know anything. So there's this lack of knowledge that is, that is basically made up for by an incredibly loud call. So she's, she's clamorous, and yet does not actually know anything. Now, this is, it's an amazing thing to think about with the scriptures, how the, the Bible so perfectly diagnoses every single age. It so perfectly diagnoses every single age. And just consider that with this, the description of folly, loud and yet not knowing anything. As, as it relates to today, consider uh, the way in which today, this, the, the LGBTQ uh, propaganda, how loud it is and yet how little it says actually by way of argumentation. The reason why it says so little by way of argumentation is because there is nothing to say. Folly does not actually know anything. It does not actually know anything. This is probably seen uh, most recently in, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure everyone's heard, uh, seen this in, in, in the news or just in, in the culture. Uh, the question that is going around where uh, people are asking others, what is a woman? And, the, and there's, there's never any answer that can be given. And the answer, the reason there's no answer is because there just simply is no knowledge on the other side. There's no knowledge. And it's not... And, you know, that's a question that obviously debunks the the transgenderism thing and shows it to be foolishness, but it's not just that. There is is no answer for any of the ideology on any of its points. There's none. There's no defense of homosexuality. There's certainly no defense of pedophilia. There's no defense of prostitution that can be given. All of these things are said to be a good thing that need to be celebrated. But the only way that they can say it is just by being loud. It's just by being loud. This is this is related very much to uh, today what is is being called uh, uh, as cancel culture, where there is you know some sort of feigned offense that's given and then that's used as a as a club to get people to change their views. And it's basically done by shouting. The idea is that that you know you you've you've transgressed the line and uh, we are going to make you to apologize. But but never in any of those circumstances is there any argumentation. There's never, there's never any explanation. This is wrong because of this. That there, there is actually no understanding. And that's, that's how you know it is, in fact, the voice of Folly that's speaking. Because Folly is clamorous, but she's also simple, and she doesn't know anything. The only way in which she can actually move people is by being the loudest. And if you were to ask then, you know, if you were to ask, you know, you know, where, where is this, this call being made? Uh, again, it's everywhere. You know, how, how loud is folly, actually? Well, if you were to look, if you were to ask, you know, where where is this call going forth? And this is really what what, what is being spoken of in verses 14 and 15, you know, that uh, folly sits at the door of her house. She's in the high places. Just like wisdom, she calls those who pass by. You know, where is folly lifting up her voice and being loud and clamorous? The answer would be in the public schools, a good portion of the private schools, colleges, tech companies, big business, big pharma, all major media organizations, all mid-sized media organizations, the government and bureaucratic agencies, professional sports, Hollywood, TV programming and movies, entertainment, the entertainment industry as a whole, all of these areas have fully embraced, more or less, this ideology where there is no reasoning and there is a very loud call for submission and conformity. And the point is that at 3,000 years ago, Solomon describes that that's exactly the way folly calls to those who pass by. That's exactly the way call, folly calls to those who pass by. Now, you'll notice even further with regards to the way in which Solomon describes folly's call in verses 14 and 15, that there are, in fact, a number of parallels to wisdom in the sense of, uh, in, in the sense of uh, notice that in verses 14 and 15, uh, she sits at the door of her house. It's a similar description to uh, to. Uh, wisdom as well, and she goes to the high places of the city. Verse 3 says the same thing of wisdom. She cries out from the highest places of the city, and notice she's calling indiscriminately to those who pass by. The same thing as wisdom. Wisdom calls out to all those who pass by. Even more particularly in verse 16, um, wisdom, uh, folly is specifically calling upon those who are foolish or those who are simple, just like wisdom does. Wisdom does that of grace in order to try to turn people from their foolishness into the way of life. But folly does it because folly believes that she can entice the people who are foolish better than she can entice those who are actually wise. Those who are wise are not going to listen to folly. But she can entice the simple. And so she addresses the simple not out of a desire for their good, but rather out of a desire uh, for their destruction. But the the point, though, in describing the call of wisdom, in verses, uh, particularly in verses uh, 1 through 9 in uh, more particularly 1 through 6 in chapter 9, describing that in such a similar way to folly in verses 13 through 18, is to say that there is some level of similarity between the call of wisdom and the call of folly. Both of them are trying to entice others. Uh, Both of them are making the call as widely known as possible. Both of them, even as we see, both of them set a feast for those to enjoy if they turn aside. However, one of them leads to death and one of them uh, leads to life. Uh, Now, the reason it's important to note the similarities between the two kinds of calls is because uh, very often the call of folly is in some ways patterned off of the call of wisdom in the sense that uh, there are um, similar kinds of things that are offered and this is the reason why the call of folly ends up seeming to be appealing. The idea is, look, you can get all the same things if you continue in your sins. If you continue in your sins, you will get all the same sorts of things. There was an article I read a couple of years ago about Karl Marx, and it actually shows that he you know, grew up certainly understanding Christianity and professing Christianity at a time, and he actually patterned his utopian vision of society off of Christian ideas. But he did it, but then left out God. So the idea is like this is, this is the, the, the utopian version of paradise that we can achieve uh, without God and even by opposing him. And this is the reason why you can see in all the versions of this that we see today that there is, um, there is this uh, plausible appeal to righteousness in the sense that um, those who are Marxists are saying we are caring for the poor, where we're caring for the downtrodden, you know, we're caring for those who are abused and oppressed in society. Well, you know, where, where is it that those ideas come from? The answer is that they come from Christianity. They, they come because there is, there, if there is to be an appeal that folly can make, there has to be some way in which it is shown to be like wisdom, at least in some outward way, to appeal. If it was just said to be you know, completely evil offhand, then of course it would not be appealing. It would, you would just turn it away. But, in, for, but for a society that has embraced Christianity, the point is, is that, uh, that there is a, there's an appeal towards righteousness, and there's an appeal towards righteousness using language that's similar to the Bible even. You know, who, who doesn't think racism is bad? You, you don't want to be a racist, right? So there's this appeal to, towards we are fighting against racism, for instance, with critical race theory. There is a sense in which this is done with, uh, with regard to things like uh, equity. Isn't equity good? Equity is a, is a good thing. Aren't equal rights something we should strive for? Isn't freedom worth fighting for? Yet the, yet the, instance, the, the thing to keep in mind with all these things is that in, in every case, the content of all of these things are subtly changed. Uh, the actual good things that are seen in the gospel are subtly changed to reflect the ways of the world. And it's subtly changed so that the call can actually be in some ways appealing. And thus you have things like um, things that the scriptures describe as perversions that are an abomination to God. Like for, for instance, the, the sexual perversions of the LGBTQ agenda. That's called freedom, self-expression. That, that, that's called equal rights. That's called equity and equality. That's called democracy. All those things that are, that are apparently good, right? But, but actually, what is it? It's actually just giving into your lusts. And you'll note that even the way in which folly makes her call, the content of her call, this is actually where it's seen, the, the, the distinction. So in verses 16 and 17, folly says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here and ask for him who lacks understanding. She says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So where are the actual difference is between the call of wisdom and the call of folly is that the, the feast that folly provides, that the feast that she actually offers is rooted in the central pleasures of sin. And that's really where the great difference is. There, there are outward similarities between them, but the, the way in which Folly declares what she believes is righteous to be righteous, the way in which she does that, is by appealing to and giving euphemisms for things that the Bible describe as sin, and that everyone knows our sin, because God's given us a conscience. That, that, that there is there's a sense in which she's saying, look, you, you can have this great feast and it will come even through your lusts. And as you as you give into your lust, you will see, you will, you will see these good things. And even they are pitched as a good thing, good and righteous. This this is the pattern that we see. And this is the reason why the call of folly is always a perversion. It's a perversion of good things. It's a perversion of things that are related first and foremost to Christianity. There are some similarities, and yet there are major differences. We see this even all the way uh, back in the times of Israel. Uh, you can you can look at this with the ancient Near Eastern cultures, the, the pagan cultures around Israel. There are always going to be some similarities between what they taught and what Israel taught. But there are fundamentally, at, at the most fundamental points, there's going to be differences. And the reason for that is because uh, there is there is always... Uh, Folly is always itself a perversion of the things that are good. It's never outright, um, it does not outright present itself as evil. It tries to couch its evil in terms of morality. And that's always been the case. That's what what Solomon here is saying. That's always uh, been the case. There is an enticement to sin through central pleasures. And that central pleasure is in fact, is in fact the feast that is being laid out. Now, You'll remember last week we looked at the call of wisdom and noted how foolish it is not to heed wisdom. That, you know, if wisdom is providing this great and glorious feast wherein you can have the forgiveness of your sins, eternal life, being in the presence of God forever where he'll wipe away every tear from your eye, you're adopted into his family, you have this inheritance, you can defeat death itself, life is promised to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. If all of these things can be given to you, you know, joy and peace beyond understanding, uh, all of these things are given as blessings in the gospel. How could it be that anyone could hear the call of wisdom and reject it? Why would anyone reject the call of wisdom if this feast is being laid out and said, "Come freely," you know, as as Isaiah says, "Come and buy water without or food without price, without any cost. Come, come to the water and drink. Come to the feast and eat and be satisfied." The price was paid by another. If you just simply turn, you'll be saved. Why would it be that people could receive that kind of call, the call of wisdom that goes out everywhere, and to say, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to receive this call. What is it that makes people say no to that call? Now, there could be a lot of answers that are given, but in terms of this particular passage, note, what Solomon is saying is, is that one of the reasons why there is a, a denial, a rejection of wisdom is because there is another call. There is a competing invitation to a competing feast. And many people will say, well, why would I embrace wisdom's invitation when I can have the same things with folly and enjoy my sins? That's the reason. That's the reason why people reject wisdom. And ultimately, ultimately, it is in order to embrace folly. It's not, it's not that there is just in a vacuum, this offer of eternal life and there's nothing else. The reality is that there is something else that the world is offering. And you have to understand what the world is in fact offering. The reason why people turn it down is because they've already said yes to the invitation to a different feast. And all of the foolish are, going to under, are, are not going to understand the implications of what they're doing. And this, is, this is really is the same, uh, the, the same thing that happened in the garden God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan tells them, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God. There is this other offer. It's, it's, not, it's not that they were just going their own way just to go another way. There was, there was another offer that was put that, that had, a, had potentially you know, very great benefits to them if it were actually true. You get to be like God? Well, that sounds like a really great thing. And it's important to note that the same thing is being, is being said today, just, just as one example of the way this is working, uh, particularly as it relates to, to transgenderism. Uh, you know, in transgenderism, the idea is that you know, uh, a, a person is not bound by the way in which God has made them, but rather has the, the sovereignty over even nature itself to be able to declare themselves to be different than what they actually are. They, they're, they're able to, based on, on their, their inner feelings, to determine that they are, they are a, a male or female, a boy or a girl, even if that is not actually consistent with reality. But I, I would ask, what is that except an attempt to challenge God? If if you were to ask, who made you male or female? The answer is God. And the offer is, is that you are, you are, if you embrace this ideology, you will not be bound by the way in which God made you, but you will be able to determine reality for yourself. And you can even cause all people and all things in this world to submit to your version of reality as you put that on the world. That is an offer to be God. That is an offer to be God. And it is the same offer that the devil made to Eve. If, if you eat this tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil you will be like God. And the reality is that once you do that, you don't become like God, but you rather become enslaved to Satan, which is what the scriptures testify happened to us in our sins, and it's the same thing that's happening now. That's the reason why there is such this strong correlation between transgenderism and misery, and even transgenderism and suicide. Is that nothing to do with the acceptance. It's because they're, to fight against reality so strongly, to go so far down the road of denying God, puts you so far in the hands of the devil that then you will become miserable. You, you, you will be absolutely miserable and, you, miserable and you, even, you even may despair of life itself. But that, that's predictable, that's what, the, that's what the devil comes to do to deceive you in order to move you on this pathway towards death. The reason why the free offer of the gospel is rejected is because there is a competing offer and people are accepting the competing offer. That's the reason why people reject the gospel. And in the end, though, what Solomon is saying, this is really the greatest difference between the two calls, is that one leads to life and the other leads to death. In verse 18, we read, he does not know, that's the person that embraces the call of folly. He does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Notice how this is contrasted to what wisdom says in verse 11. By me... For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be added to you. There is there is this offer of life and death. The way of wisdom leads to life; it leads to this feast that is characterized by eternal life in the presence of God. But but the way of folly is in fact death. Now, you notice that there are there are two things that are that are really being emphasized in verse 18. Uh, one is the fact that the that those who who uh, follow the the invitation of folly, that there is an ignorance. Notice, he does not know. He does not know that the dead are there and that our guests are in the depths of hell. So there's the fact that he's ignorant and then there's what he's ignorant of, which is the actual end. So dealing first with the idea of ignorance. Folly, those who heed folly's invitation, they do not understand what the end is. And this is how you know that those who follow this path are foolish. This is why it's fitting to use the word folly to describe this woman uh, who ultimately is, is uh, standing for the devil and the, the reason why it's right to characterize all who follow her as foolish themselves. Um, you'll remember that one of the things that, that we've seen that characterizes wisdom is that um, wisdom, those who are wise, they understand the implications of their actions. They're able to see the ends of things they're able to see where a path leads and they're able to make a decision in light of where, where a path is leading that leads to a good thing. They're able to understand where something goes, like what the implications are of an action, and they're able to then make a decision that is right in light of that. So if you're able to understand those things and you can see, well, if this path leads to death, I'm not going to go that way. But what, what is being emphasized here is that uh, those who follow folly, they, they do not understand the end And therefore, for that reason they are foolish and being unable to see the path, being unable to see the implications of their actions, they don't know where the path leads, they simply make the the decision and it leads to destruction. They make the same decisions that have have made made over and over again. They do not heed all the warnings and all the examples of others. They simply go on and continue uh, down the path. Now, this is seen with, really with innumerable, in, in innumerable ways today. I mentioned the, the transgenderism point. This is probably the most uh, significant one today because this is, the, this, this is the, the most extreme version of the denial of reality that we see in today's world. And it's not, it's not really merely a denial of reality. It really is a denial of God. Um, it's a denial of God because you are, you're really claiming to be God. You're claiming to have the power over nature and reality itself, that you are the one who determines those things. And we can see the the end is death. Uh, We've noted so many different statistics and things related to, over the course of this series, related to um, things like um, prostitution or the production of pornography or transgenderism, homosexuality. The reality is, is that if you look at any of these things and look at all of these things, it's very easy to see that they all end in death. They all end in death. It's no different from what Solomon was saying 3,000 years ago. Folly is loud. She has no reasoning. She simply makes her call to all people. She does it as loudly as possible with no argumentation. She appeals to people with, through sensual pleasures and offers a great feast. And those who follow her They do not realize that their end is death. The end is death. This is the same thing even that, showing another connection with with chapter seven. Uh, Solomon made the exact same point with uh, with, uh, the adulteress and her call. The young man who goes with her, uh, he is led like an ox to the slaughter, but he does not even know it. He cannot even see it. He goes with her and does not even realize that he will never see the light of day again. He is going on the path of death. Brothers and sisters, it is necessary to understand the call of wisdom. We we spent a lot of time on that last week, looking at the way in which the gospel call is, is being made. But it is it is important to understand as well, as Solomon is saying here, it's important to understand the nature of folly's call. And particularly because it is ubiquitous today. Virtually every school, virtually every media outlet, big business, big tech, college campuses, entertainment, Hollywood, professional sports, all of these things on the tv on the internet in the culture it has really pervaded everywhere the call of folly as it has gone out she is loud she she declares that her feast though purchased with the wages of sin will in fact be satisfying she is seductive and yet brothers and sisters her way leads to death it is merely a continuation of the of The temptation that Satan gave to Eve so many years ago, he appealed to the lust of her eyes. He he, he put the fruit in front of her face. Do you not see that this is a good fruit? It will make you wise. It will even make you uh, like God. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, Satan is doing the same things today. However, life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a way that leads to death. But life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him and be saved. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do pray for your grace and for your wisdom to be able to understand uh, to be able to understand these things and even as we see so many Lord so many are lost today because of uh, Lord, lack of discernment and um, we think of the words of Christ where he says, if the blind lead the blind, surely both will fall into the pit. And Lord, we, we see that so many are falling into pits as those who are blind. Uh, Lord, grant us the grace to be able to see, uh, that we would have eyes to see, that we would have ears to hear, that we would hear your word, that we would tremble at your threats, that we would uh, receive wisdom. We think of even what Solomon says that we looked at last week about the correction of a wise man and how it causes him to grow in wisdom. Uh, Lord, may it be that you would cause us in this way to be wise, that we would always grow in our understanding of you, and that we would not compromise on anything with regard to uh, the call of folly. We'd be able to recognize that call for what it is, uh, O Lord, and that we would uh, stand firmly uh, on the teachings of the Scriptures with regard to those things. And Lord, even to remember that even even as there are many who have embraced uh, the uh, the the sins that are uh, such an abomination, that yet even even for those there is hope for anyone who will turn. Uh, for wisdom continues to call; she continues to make her voice known. Uh, that that the simple and even the fools that they might turn from their sins and find life in you, Lord. How we do pray that you would grant uh, this grace to many even as we see the darkness appearing to increase in our country. May it be, Lord, that through the preaching of your gospel that you would uh, cause many yet to find life. Uh, Lord, we know that the the nation that turns away from you will be uh, plunged into darkness and foolishness. Claiming to be wise, we we will become fools, and such is the way that uh, that you have led this own nation to this point because of our sins. Grant us the grace to turn, O Lord, Grant us the grace to turn for the sake of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask this in his name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, We'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would a- even be able to plant a church ourselves As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, There is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine particularly in this place uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.